0: Hey, good morning, everybody, and welcome back to a Saturday, June 4th, 2022 edition here on the Chase Thomas podcast presented by Blue Hour Pods, where I am still the A4 engine Chase Thomas coming to you live from Knoxville, Tennessee. We got a three-parter on today's program. Uh, yeah, three-hour program here on the Saturday, June 4th edition of the Chase Thomas podcast. So uh, first up, we've got Andrew Sharp, uh, formerly of Grantland, and SI, and a uh, longtime veteran NBA writer, uh, now veteran NBA podcaster with one of my favorite basketball pods, uh, The Goat Pod, Greatest of All Talk, with The Washington Post Ben Collifer. So go check that out if you've not already done so over there on Supporting Cast. So The Goat Pod it's one of my favorites, and uh, Andrew was kind enough to spend a lot of time on this very program to talk all things NBA, Finals, Celtics, Warriors, lakers hiring darwin ham uh pelicans and zion and uh all that good stuff um with uh with andrew sharp so that's coming up on our one coming up in just one second uh don't forget folks you can watch us on youtube go check us out on youtube.com type in the chase almost podcast you'll find us there like and subscribe to all of our videos and uh, all of our content on that front that would help um, Let's see what else uh, you can read me at sports renaissance, man, substack dot com. sports renaissance, man, substack dot com. type in your email and make sure you get all uh, my publications to my uh, written content. Uh, you can email the program at chase Thomas podcast at gmail.com. Tweet at me at chase double underscore Thomas and like the Facebook page at facebook.com slash chase Thomas writer, Tennessee one blanked Alabama state last night, which was great. Who knows what's going to happen? I don't think Evan Russell's available this evening, but uh, we'll see as uh, Tennessee and Campbell the battle of the orange. Who's the real orange? That will be tested tonight in Knoxville. So uh, fun weekend ahead on Rocky Top, but uh, good show for you guys today, three hour program. And uh, you can check all those episodes out here on this very feed, wherever you get your podcast, Chase Thomas podcast on your preferred podcast player. All right, Uncle Darren, let's go chase thomas podcast. the chase thomas podcast um, <laughs> my nephew needs me to record see i hate
1: i already hate it i hate it
0: all right hello and welcome back to the chase thomas podcast taping this on a friday afternoon with andrew sharp andrew did you hear about this did you see this the nba finals started last night uh now that it's been uh about 12 hours or so how are you feeling about game one uh, between oh, the celtics man. and the warriors
1: Well, I picked the Celtics, so game Mm. one was a bit of a roller coaster where first quarter you're watching Steph go off. Celtics are going underneath screens, giving him a lot more room than I expected them to, Mm -hmm. and, I mean, he was just doing whatever he wanted, and the Warriors' offense looked great, and so Mm -hmm. I was expecting them to sort of come back to earth against the Boston defense. That started to happen in the second quarter, Third quarter, Golden State is just lights out from everywhere and looks like the best team in the league. And I start imagining like the title parade in the Bay and Steph on the top 10 list and all this stuff. And then the fourth quarter, man, I mean, that was what I expected to see in this series where Mm -hmm. Boston was just more physical than anybody the Warriors had dealt with and they were more athletic. And at a certain point, Golden State just didn't have an answer outside of Steph taking tough shots.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And that's the that's the element that I'm really curious about for Sunday. Because, like, Game 2, Golden State should go out and kick their ass. It feels like this is going to be a pretty long series. But by the same token, like, the supporting cast in Golden State just didn't look very good. Like, mm-hmm. Andre Iguodala probably isn't going to be playable in this series. Jordan Poole maybe not playable in this series and he so better I, be playable. <laughs> he, he's going to have to be, but at the mm-hmm. same time like he's just getting abused on defense mm-hmm. and he wasn't able to score at the rim on offense. That I think was like the sneaky biggest factor in game 1 is mm. the Celtics can pro- can protect the rim better than like the Mavericks could, for example. And um they can take away a lot of the easy stuff in the paint. And that ultimately means the Warriors are going to have to rely on like hitting tough shots from the outside mm-hmm. and outside Steph. They just didn't have it in game one.
0: What did you see in the first quarter of the second quarter that changed uh, for Steph? Because he had what, 21 in the first time, like Michael Jordan, 90, 1993 mark uh, from his points in a quarter. But um, and then he's just the goose egg and quarter. Yeah. two. Did you see anything specifically that Boston did uh, that threw him off?
1: Well, he sat for an extended stretch yeah. of the second quarter, so that and was they start definitely... off like
0: an eight0 run without him, if I remember correctly, like they were actually fine,
1: yeah, yeah, A- and that's where I started to wonder, like, oh boy, mm-hmm. is the Celtics pick in trouble because like <laughs> the Golden State offense wasn't being slowed down by this vaunted Celtics defense, and it was like, oh shit, okay, here we go, mm-hmm. um but beyond that, in terms of like what slowed down for Steph. I think the Celtics were just pretty disciplined about taking one or two steps further, like under the screen. They, they were giving him a lot of room in that first quarter. Mm-hmm. And you saw the clip um, of Marcus Smart mic'd up saying, This mm-hmm. is not the heat series, and like lecturing Robert Williams about sort of closing out a little bit harder and not giving up that much room. I think that's part of it. And also, you know, Steph is. 63 and when you're throwing like big wings at him and and big guys are are chasing him all over the place it's hard for him to get clean looks at the rim and so outside of that first quarter the the Boston Celtics were just making it hard on him all mm-hmm. all night and and that will continue
0: what do you think Kerr changes in game 2 lineup wise who
1: it's a good question because uh You know, there were stretches where Marcus Smart was guarding Draymond, like Mm. guarding in air quotes, and was really just sort of like playing free safety and blowing up a lot of the dribble handoff stuff they love to do and just generally being like disruptive as hell. Mm. And I think that's where Marcus Smart could be really valuable. And so if Draymond's not going to be a threat offensively, I don't know if you can not play Draymond, um, but it, it's something to watch and something that Kerr is going to have to figure out. You definitely shouldn't be playing Draymond and Iguodala together. Yeah. And they did that when they were up double digits. And so maybe it was Kerr just sort of like trying some stuff. Um, mm but I do think that they are going to have to give it another try with Jordan Poole and hope mm. that Game One was just crappy and he's got another level in him because they need his off his offensive upside and uh, and uh, again like they need somebody outside of Steph so mm. Clay is the other guy who I love I think like Clay has a hundred percent approval rating across. Everybody who cares about basketball, everybody who plays basketball, everybody loves Clay Thompson, but he's gotta be better if they're gonna mm. win. You know, like he just wasn't good enough in the second half. He was getting targeted on defense and fourth quarter he was sort of invisible on offense. And um they don't have enough talent everywhere else to get away with like a D plus Clay Thompson game.
0: Yeah, I um I'm curious because, I mean, they, they got healthier. That was one of the interesting things. Talking to Andy Liu a couple days ago um, about this series, and he was confident. Uh, you're not going to believe this light years, guys. We're confident uh-huh. about uh, – uh, shout out to my guys over at light years uh, – about the Warriors' chances in this series against Celtics. But uh, they're all healthy. Like, everyone's back. Like, Gary Payton's coming back. Like, you have – Kerr has options where it seemed like the Celtics were limping into the nba finals with everybody and the warriors were finally healthy and they have not been healthy all year and they waited until the end of the playoffs to really get everybody ready to go so it is actually kind of like for me something i jotted down was just that like yeah that's not how you want it to go in game one but like kerr has a lot more options at his disposal like he throughout Andre guess what now he knows that Andre and Dre cannot do that in the series and Mm -hmm. now he knows maybe Andre is not playable in the series maybe he has to change so like is he gonna have to get Kaminga or Moody back into the series like he has a lot of dudes that he can throw back into the series and figure it out the Celtics aren't like that they still have their seven to eight guys that they're going to use over and over again so I don't think Ime has as many uh options if things go south for a lineup that Kerr tinkers with and he figures out he's like oh this one works and we're gonna hunt and do this to death I don't know that's where what I was thinking
1: yeah well and I love Andy and Sam and the Mm. light years gang and they were talking about how healthy that team is and I'm Mm. like all right well is Gary Payton the second really playable in this series Mm. like what are you getting from Andre Iguodala at this point like what does it really mean if you're quote-unquote healthy and those are the guys that you're bringing back um auto porter was great and as a wizards fan i would love to see Otto porter get a ring at the end of all this so sort of broke my heart to see the golden state collapse because Otto was like an unsung hero for them in game Mm -hmm. one outside of steph um but i'm not sure how reliable that sort of performance is either like you'll probably get a couple of those auto games but he he may not have it in game two. Um, the Moody thing is interesting because he's the guy who, if I were Kerr, I'd be like, all right, let's let's see what we have here. And for mm-hmm. whatever reason, they didn't go that direction. Um, but when you look at the lineups with Iguadala and Draymond, like that's obviously not gonna work. Maybe it's a little different if Moody can hit some shots from the outside. He he does give you like a good switchable defender and like it, it's it's worth rolling out there. But I my concern on the Warriors side is that like when you really look at the options, some of the guys that's that Kerr could play are sort of washed at this point, mm-hmm. And then some of them are just total wild cars, whether it's Kaminga or Moody. But I agree with you. I would definitely give those guys a shot and see what they can do in, in limited minutes because there, the the well is running dry on the veteran side of the equation so see what moody and kaminga can do
0: on the celtic side of things though why i'm curious why why did you think the celtics were going to win this series beforehand because uh you're kind of on an nba insider uh analyst island there a lot of warriors across the board love super weird
1: how unanimous the media became picking yeah. the warriors um <laughs> So there are a number of things. One of it, I'll just be honest, was sort of like a gut feeling Mm. on the way into it. You had all these different media outlets and pundits sort of like rhapsodizing about Steph Curry and his place in history and what this title would mean and how underappreciated he's been for years and years and all this stuff. And I was digesting it being like, and I, I also host Greatest of All Talk mm-hmm. and get emails from people. And for like several weeks now, we've been getting emails asking us to talk about Steph's place in history if he wins this title. And just my experience as a sports fan is that when people start having those conversations before the games are played... Mm. things tend to get weird <laughs> and it's yeah. rarely as clean and storybook as everyone expects it to be. And so that so- sort of set off some alarm bells. And then also I just think the West was weaker than people realized. And so the warriors were beating the crap out of like the Mavs, the nuggets, you know, the Grizzlies who who were good and were able to push golden state a little bit. But like, there weren't really like championship caliber tests for mm-hmm. them. And so I thought they came in a little bit overrated and Boston was just gonna be bigger and more athletic than anyone they dealt with. Um but you know, it's also one game and for two of the quarters in game one, Golden State just looked better and was mm-hmm. like blowing them off the floor. So I, I'm reluctant to read too much into it, but it it's definitely their toughest test uh thus far in the playoffs and and maybe like the toughest finals test they've had
0: is there one guy uh specifically for boston in game one that surprised you the most Ooh, that's a good question
1: um peyton pritchard Hmm. was pretty valuable for them was able to stay on the floor and i think that's a sneaky big factor. like that gives Boston an extra shooter Mm. and it also, he, he was like pesky on defense. He wasn't a a complete liability. He was actually sort of making Steph work and chasing him all over the perimeter. Mm. Um, So if he's going to be a net neutral on defense and another shooter for them on offense, cause like, you know, golden state, in the post game that everybody kept hammering well they're not going to shoot 51 percent from three mm. every game in this series but like a lot of the shots that golden state was gi- was giving up were wide open threes
0: right guys like, like every pritchard. horford three was open
1: exactly exactly the horford and pritchard were getting like wide open looks mm. and those guys are good shooters it's not like you're giving up looks to semi ogile or something mm-hmm. like Horford's going to knock those down Pritchard's going to knock those down so I think that's a big deal and then the other surprise obviously Derek White man was Mm. just like pulling shots out of his ass and uh was great on defense as well um but there were several junctures in both halves really where like The Celtics were sort of running out of options on offense, and Mm. Tatum would just drive and kick and hit Derek White, who would then hit a contested three. And that's one thing I don't think they'll be able to get again. But you you trade for Derek White hoping that he gives you, like, one or two games that potentially swing a series, and um, they got one of them in game one.
0: I also wonder... Because a lot of people's response after this game was that uh, the officiating was really good. The officiating, by by and large, in game one was pretty solid. Mm-hmm. I also wondered, I was like, if it's called like this, the majority of the series, I think the Warriors are in more trouble. Where they're not getting certain calls where you're like, okay, when they're attacking like that, Poole and Steph have got to get to the line. And they've got to be flailing. They've got to just... Because Boston's going to be more physical. Boston's going to hammer them inside with Horford and with Williams, with Tyce, Like you're going to need to like, if it's officiated like that, I'm kind of more concerned, uh, for golden sticks. I feel like that benefited, uh, Boston a lot more. Did you?
1: Yeah. I mean, and and that's one of the things that will be interesting to watch in game two in particular, like things could swing pretty dramatically in that department. Mm. The NBA officiating patterns tend to be a little convenient for the league purposes. Um, so, Sunday night, Golden State probably gets a pretty favorable whistle. Mm. It's, it's a big X-factor in every game because Boston wants to be really physical. And also, Golden State, like they're not going to be getting into the lane as much. Certainly mm. not. Like they were against the Mavs where they could just sort of do whatever they want. You go in there and it's like, Burton's protecting the rim. It's like, great. Everybody can. Mm. And that's probably not going to be the case for almost everybody on the team with Golden State in this series. Like I I don't see many guys who are going to be like regularly getting into the paint and initiating contact and getting to the line. So they are going to be, they're going to have to be pretty creative on the perimeter, sell every, every contact they, they have. Um, And I, I say that with like, a twinge of sadness because the game one gameplay was so much cleaner than what we saw at the end of like heat Celtics. I don't mm-hmm. want the Warriors to start flopping all over the place because like it was just really nice to see sort of back and forth mm-hmm. basketball. Everybody was in the flow. We weren't stopping every two minutes for a review and it was one thing. I didn't really notice it until the second half when some people started tweeting about it. But I was like, man, mm. this has been really nice. So I hope we can keep that going. Although you're right. The, the Warriors need to find a way to get to the line.
0: Um, last thing on this game, one though, Tatum 3 for 17. He really, really struggled by and large. And it's like the folks who just expect them not to shoot lights out again. Um, the Celtics that being the case, it's like, well, Tatum had the game from hell offensively i mean he was still passing he was finding Jalen. he was finding smart he's finding horford like he was that's the difference in his game now like post marcus smart uh blow up from earlier mm-hmm. the season it's just that like he finds other ways to get other guys involved if his shot's not there he's not shooting three for 17 again so it's like if you're going into game two boston's looking for blood and if jason tatum has a all-time game and he goes for 50 and really puts the warriors on note like then you're in hot, like it's it's bad, like it's bad, bad situation. So that's something that I feel like is looming: is a, a crazy Jason Tatum game going for the jugular. Because if they go two zero uh, on the road, it's that's probably it.
1: Yeah, Tatum is hitting a point where I just have to throw up my hands because I mm-hmm. can't figure this dude out. Like as well as he played, he's he's really good on defense. Mm-hmm. He did move the ball and find open shooters, and I th- I thought Boston's offense was just flat out better than Golden State's offense in terms of like the stuff they ran the stuff they ran and the looks they were getting in game 1 it just was impressive across the board but at the same time you had all these people on the way out of game 1 being like well that was a superstar performance from Tatum because he didn't have it going with the jumper but he still found a way to impact the game and was great for them and i think that's overstating it a little bit like he mm. did find ways to help but at the same time, he the jumper was just sort of a mess. He had that early air ball and just looked out of sync for a long stretch of that game. Um, and the fourth quarter comeback wasn't really about him. It was like Jalen going off, Horford going off, Derek White. So I, I will be really curious to see. Whether he can sort of come back and just like dominate as a scorer mm-hmm. because we've seen that over and over again in the playoffs, where like he'll have these games where you look up and you're just like, What is wrong with Jason Tatum? and then you'll look up the next game and he's had like 45 points in game six against Giannis and like was just out of his mind. Um, so you're absolutely right if he can be that guy in game two. The Warriors are gonna be in a lot of trouble. I, I would say the Warriors probably win game two, but they should have won game one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like losing that one, uh, man oh man, it's gotta hurt. I, I mean, like afterward everybody sounded confident. And mm-hmm. I, I would if I were a Warriors fan, it would maybe freak me out a little bit, like how comfortable Draymond was in the post game, how comfortable Steph was, Kerr. Like they got punked in that fourth quarter, and there didn't seem to be much like collective acknowledgement from the guys how, how emphatic that fourth quarter was from Boston.
0: Hmm. Um, well, I've got good news, Andrew. The Lakers are fixed. Things are good in Lake, Lakerland. <laughs> Nothing to see here. Darvin Ham is the head coach. And, great. Uh, yeah, things are things are great. We're just moving forward. New era. LeBron's on board. Uh, the Lakers. The Lakers are back. People forget.
1: Yeah. Well, uh, I am very curious to see whether they can move Russell Westbrook this summer. Um, that was one where like. For several months this season, everybody's like, well, they'll trade Westbrook. And now Mm -hmm. there are rumors they don't want to put up picks to trade Westbrook. And I I predict that he will be back in L.A. Now, whether that means he's actually going to be, like, playing for the Lakers is a different story. Um, But I don't think that they can trade him. And Mm. absent a trade, it's still the same screwed up team. (laughs) It, Mm -hmm. It really was not about coaching last year. Like, the roster is an absolute mess, but you're, you're right. You know, Darvin Ham, great coach. The Lakers are fixed. And uh, <laughs> next year we'll be talking about the Lakers in June.
0: It's one of those things. It's when you look at both these rosters in the finals right now, and you look at just who was making, who made the deep run, it's guy. Like you had Luca, even with the maps, it's like, okay, they're not a great, they're not a deep team, but they had a bunch of dudes who knew their roles and they had eight or nine guys that they could count on to know their roles and to do what they needed to do. The Lakers don't have that. And there's no path to them getting back this summer. That's my biggest concern. It's like, yeah, you can count on AD to bounce back and get back to bubble AD and play more games and LeBron play more games and figure it out with Westbrook because he cannot be like what he was this past year. But I don't see the depth returning. Like, I don't see the path to them getting to where they need to be to be like a Golden State or Denver or a Boston or a Miami Where like you're 9, 10, 11 deep that you can like Duncan Robinson can get a DMP CD for a whole series. And then he's back in the mix. And the Lakers just don't, they're not even close. Like Taylor Horton Tucker gets all kinds of conversation about him and where he's at with this team. But my biggest concern with the Lakers is not even their three stars or two stars in Russell Westbrook. It's just, I don't see a path to them fixing their depth problem in time to maximize this window with LeBron and AD. Is that fair?
1: Uh yeah. And the <laughs> second they traded for Russell Westbrook, that became mm. like a glaring issue. Like the biggest red flag you can imagine. Like that's mm. what we have with the Lakers. And it's amazing. When you go back to the the preseason picks, mm. a lot of people were picking the Lakers to not only make it to the western conference finals like a lot of people had them in the west finals but it, it it even like some people had them coming out of the west and being in the finals and um i was not on that bandwagon because mm. you just look at the roster teams that have to play that many bad players mm. just don't succeed like <laughs> there's no, there there aren't examples throughout nba history of teams yep bringing guys literally off the street, like 38, 39-year-old veterans, giving them 20, 30 minutes a game and winning. Like, that just Mm -hmm. does not happen. Uh, So for that reason, I I, I struggle to see how it's going to be very different this year. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, then I don't know. I mean, I think if you were trying to win, like, they can't do this because of, like, the politics involved but i think if you were trying to win and trying to give them like the best shot for next season Mm -hmm. you might consider trading anthony davis and just trying to bring back like more uh infrastructure for your Mm -hmm. roster and see what you could do in that scenario but again like ad is a clutch guy and and he and lebron are sort of joined at the hip so that's a non-starter and Mm -hmm. if that's the case then all right good luck guys
0: I just, I mean, my theory on what happens here is I I think it's bad again next year. And I think they hit, LeBron cannot go anywhere next year. Like, he has to ride this out for one more year in LA. Mm -hmm. And then I think he ends up in Phoenix. And then I think he owns Phoenix in like five years or less. Like, he's now a billionaire athlete. James Jones is already installed at GM. Sarver is going to be forced to sell at some point. Phoenix is not that far from LA. I am, my, Best guess for LeBron the next couple years is another bad year in uh, in LA. He finishes up with CP and Booker in uh, in Phoenix after DeAndre Ayton is traded this summer. They do that. He's the five at the tail end of his career. He slides all the way down to five. They play there. And then he uh, buys the team after he retires and uh, takes over as the leading majority owner of the Phoenix Suns with James Jones. Wow!
1: Wow! 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 I love that theory. Uh, My co-host on Greatest of All Talk, Ben Mm Golliver, he has a theory that LeBron will end up with the Las Vegas expansion team Hmm. and will end up owning a piece of that team before it's all said and done, and that's where he'll draft brawny to in like 2024, whatever that Hmm. becomes a viable option. Um, yeah, I like the idea of LeBron landing somewhere new in another year or two and then eventually becoming owner. I do Mm. think that is in play and maybe like the most likely scenario now, Phoenix, I God only knows like how the cap would work on that front. um, Mm. But, uh, yeah, I I don't think it's going to end well in L.A., and I think at that point there, are, are, there also aren't that many other options around the NBA for LeBron. So Phoenix could actually make sense. Las Vegas could make sense, but mm-hmm. it's not like he's going to. I don't
0: LeBron think Vegas will be City. ready in time for him. Like, I don't know. Yeah. That's a quick timeline for Vegas. Like, that's the thing. It's like I think that would – be more appetizing to me if it was quicker I i'm not convinced that that's like a two year or less thing for him
1: true and i have no idea where things stand on like yeah. the expansion progress and whatnot so maybe phoenix is one of the only like viable options for yep. lebron in a few years and that's a, another reason that could actually happen
0: well you heard it here first andrew phoenix <laughs> lebron i I said this a year ago and I was like, this, the tea leaves. You know what's crazy too to think about? And like, you cannot tweet this or put this out there because like, you'll get all kinds of people going after you. But I think there's a strong possibility that LeBron's already played his last important NBA game. Like, it's, it's uh-huh. like, that's crazy to think about is that LeBron's already played in his last important NBA game.
1: It's, sad to think about because and it was not, in the bubble it, it was in the bubble yeah and it, it isn't a reflection on lebron mm-hmm. in a weird way i mean it's a reflection on lebron in as much as i i do think he was pulling a lot of the strings right. player management wise um but i as a player he's still good enough to be playing on this stage this week and you know it's just unfortunate that he has I I think he and whoever's running the Lakers, whether it's Rich Paul or Palinka or whatever, I think there are a lot of cooks in that kitchen. Kurt Rambis, mm-hmm. Linda Rambis, God only knows. But they all sort of misunderstood what made them great in 2020, mm-hmm. and took all these two way guys, these like rugged defenders. And we're just like, nah, we don't really give a shit about you guys. Let's go get Dennis Schroeder and let's Mm -hmm. get Montres Harrell. And then like, they made similar mistakes this past offseason. And so it's been pretty unfortunate to see a, a, a true title contender just be like stripped bare. And now LeBron is finishing his career surrounded by trash. And Anthony Davis who also had just like a incredibly weird season last year
0: yeah it's it's dire and i think it's a lot more dire than a lot of folks uh understand here um because i think just people have penciled him in to back bounce back and i'm like i don't think so i just feel vindicated because i had the lakers not a playoff team before the year check the tapes in the podcast wow like the death because i was like 82 games and based on where they were at like you the only path was 80 playing 80 games like that was the path i'm like i'm not betting on lebron and 80 to play enough games for them to do this i, just, That's I didn't see it
1: take. I, I i figured that they would find a way to, to win like 50 games during the regular season just on talent alone yeah and then coming into the year i was like there's a zero percent chance this team is making the finals and yeah like it was obvious the day they traded for westbrook that like mm-hmm. the equation was not going to work in the playoffs I didn't expect it to be just a complete disaster from literally the first
0: preseason game onward. (laughs) Um, But I mean, they were a seven seed the year before, like we saw it, like they went from championship. They gave it their all. They, they gave up everything to win that. And then it was like, Oh, by the way, you're right back into it. AD wasn't able to do his normal off season uh, away from basketball that he usually does. And then it's like, okay, there's more time. It's more grind there. All right, that's it. And then, Suddenly you're in year three like season 3 and you're like good god like this group cannot <laughs> <Dude>. <laughs> There were points this
1: season where I looked up at Lakers games mm-hmm. and I was
0: like who is on the court
1: like yes. when did they sign Wenyan Gabriel and why is he <laughs> playing 30 minutes a game like mm-hmm. what is happening and uh LeBron toward the end of the year was doing this thing where like he played once every 10 days and would score Mm. like 35 and then just like have to rest for a week. Plus that's another thing to factor in with them. It's LeBron and it, it makes everybody feel mortal because we've all Mm. sort of grown up with LeBron, particularly people who are my age Um, Mm. watching him slow down. I don't think that he can play a full 82 game season anymore and where Mm. he spent the first 15 or 16 years of his career, just looking completely indestructible. Like I, I can't remember ever seeing him get hurt and miss like extended time. Mm-hmm. Um, now he's mortal and like a, a groin injury or an ankle injury, like takes him out for a month. And the Lakers just
0: do not have the reinforcements for those scenarios. No. Cause then you're like, Oh, well 80, will just step in there. And it's like, no, you can't count on AD. To, <laughs> what? No, I mean, in a perfect well, world, look, yes. AD also,
1: Bubble AD, mm-hmm. one of the greatest players of all time. Like, yeah. he's hitting shots from outside. He's everywhere on defense. And you're just mm-hmm. like, this guy is incredible. Mm-hmm. And he just has not been that guy ever since. He wasn't really that guy beforehand. Like, he he's mm-hmm. best inside around the rim. He's still got great touch in that area and can do a lot of damage, but he's like fallen in love with this version of his game where he does a really bad Kevin Durant impression and just sort of like floats around the perimeter and shoots like Mm -hmm. 20% from out there. And uh, I don't know whether that's because he's playing with LeBron and he wants to keep the paint open or what, but um, I mean, it's a total mess (laughs) and like, I, I wonder where he's going to be in a couple of years, given the way his body has broken down. And it just it feels like he's not quite locked in the way you would hope for it with like a superstar who's smack in the middle of his prime.
0: True or false? And Stevenson played a game for the Atlanta Hawks this year.
1: <sighs> Lance Stevenson, I, I would guess true. I can't. <laughs> I, I know he played with the Pacers at one point. Did he play with the Hawks?
0: He did. He played on Christmas for the Hawks. Oh, my God. Christmas game against the Knicks.
1: Wow. Okay. I watched that in
0: my car on my way back to Atlanta from Knoxville. And uh, it was a wild time because that was the peak COVID uh, lineups and everything. (laughs) We're just different guys. Joe Johnson was in the Celtics and, like, everybody was popping in and out. And, yeah, that was – Jalen Johnson got some rare run. Yeah. What a weird year that we just threw out the window. Oh,
1: my God, dude. It just – Our sense of time has been completely warped by the past two years. So you describing Hawks, Knicks on (laughs) Christmas, it it feels like that happened 18 months ago. And Mm -hmm. uh, I remember I hated the Knicks uniforms in that game. I was very upset that they didn't just roll with the traditional blue and Mm -hmm. white. Uh, I mean, you know, that's an easy win on Christmas Day. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, uh, there were a lot of, like, really weird months this year that I've just completely, like, blocked from my memory.
0: Yeah. Um, We'll end on this. Uh, What would you do if you're David Griffin this summer? Because I think the Pelicans are, like, a really, really fascinating summer case. Like, if I were David Griffin, I would simply trade Zion for uh, John Collins and do Zion and Trey Young in Atlanta. And uh, that's what I would do, not uh, (laughs) – So, are I, you a Hawks fan? Uh, that's uh, that, oh, that's oh, great shout okay. out to Peyton. Yes, but, yeah, there's Doc. Old there you doc go. You. Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, I don't know, man. I don't think you're gonna get good value. Um, like I, I'm not giving up uh, Zion Williamson for John Collins. I'm, I'm no? sorry to report that <laughs> if I'm David Griffin. Um, but at the how same time, how about Clint time, Capella too? yeah have left sure. take back Clint and get some good mm-hmm. rim protection yeah, uh, I'm a big at guy. I would love to love a Kongwu. for yeah. um I am right there with you though I think the pelicans are the most interesting team as we hit the off season, and mm-hmm. I would love to see them shore up their guard play a little bit uh and I would love to see them get some sort of Honestly, like an Akongu type rim protector to yeah. help solidify the defense. Um, but I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure which direction they're going to go. Uh, I just I loved the infrastructure with Ingram and Herb Jones and CJ and adding Alvarado. That makes Alvarado. Everything about that team was such a breath of fresh air.
0: Mm-hmm. Over the
1: middle, two or three months of the season. And, you know, I would love to see Zion come back and just be awesome and take it all to a completely different level. Um, but at the same time, I think we've hit the point in Zion's career where it's like, that's an if, not a when. And mm-hmm. we'll see whether it, whether he can put it all together and stay healthy
0: well, that's why it's so interesting. We never see this where like the Pelicans blossomed when they traded from a column and he's not there and they grew and they became this super fun team, made the playoffs. They know where nobody expected them to do that and this late run and then you're just like, all right, let's reacclimate Zion who got cleared this summer and with this group that had a lot of fun and played really good basketball together. I don't know. It's just it's not going to be a clean transition to put Zion back into the fold here and they, it's going to be a completely different vibe. So I'm just, I'm so curious to see how they approach it because this is a pinnacle off season for New Orleans because they cannot do this with Zion for another year. Like You cannot do one more year of this. Is he in or is he out? The reports and him missing a lot of time. Eventually, like you trade it from a column because you're kind of like preparing yourself for life without Zion. Or are yeah. like, we got to still sell tickets and be decent for Brandon Ingram because he's an awesome player and deserves to have uh some help around him and try to make this work. But I don't know. I feel like this is this is it for for Zion and this group, right? Well,
1: yes. And you know, to I didn't really give you like a firm answer. <laughs> if mm-hmm. I were David Griffith, I would try to trade Zion and see okay. like what is out there. For a John see.
0: Collins friend.
1: See yeah, exactly a John Collins type package. <laughs> Maybe bring back a Capella um if you're lucky. No, the
0: 30-for-30 of a locker room led by Trey Young and Zion Williamson would be uh, top-notch. Oh, would my watch God, a, a defense
1: with those two mm. guys. Um, put them in the pick-and-roll. Everybody eats in that scenario. <laughs> uh, Zion, though, he's awesome, but I think mm. on the court, you know, aside from personalities and whether he's in shape and whether he can stay healthy, like you put him in that offense, and it, it, it will look different. It's not mm. going to just be like, two plus two equals four. I think he makes Brandon Ingram less valuable because he takes the ball out of Ingram's hand a little bit. And mm-hmm. Ingram as the creator was working really well down the stretch. And Zion is sort of like point Zion. I I didn't love that, um, for stretches of the Pelican season two years ago. So, mm. uh, I do think it's going to be kind of a mess. And if there's some sort of, uh, alternate path out there and another team wants to roll the dice with Zion, I would definitely consider it pretty seriously if I were Griffin. My question is like it, it, I think the whole league is sort of where you are, where it's like yeah. is this going to happen with
0: Zion? And so I'm not sure the the value would really be there if you're putting him on the market. I mean, any team should do it. Like cuz he still has the ceiling of best player in basketball. There's just not many of those guys where you're like There's nothing you can do with him when he's on offensively. There's just nothing you can do with that person inside. And that's just you can't like as great as Jaws been like the ceiling is still not the same. The ceiling is not the same as Zion's, And I that's why it would hurt so much moving him if you're New Orleans, because you could totally see the scenario where he pops off in team number two. And you're like, good God, we just (laughs) traded away. Yeah, because can you imagine if he becomes like a five-time MVP or a a five-time first-team All-NBA and you're just like, well, we had to do it. But people forget about the context of like what was going on and him wanting out and all this stuff behind the scenes that we'll never know for sure what's going on there. But like
1: definitely much weirder behind the scenes than we even realize. (laughs) So that's part of it.
0: But I don't know. I like... If he's traded this summer, it would not surprise me. It would not surprise me altogether because if CJ and uh, Brandon are like, we can do this. We can make us a like a, a Blazers light from Dame and CJ and we can just make the playoffs for several years in a row and keep this thing humming and the good vibes going. Like, I don't know. It, it would not surprise me.
1: All I can say is that in the midst of the finals, it's been mm-hmm. great to talk Pelicans. And whether they come back with Zion next year or with whatever they get in a Zion trade, I am going to be all in on yeah. Alvarado and Herb and Ingram and CJ. Like, I'm I'm all the way there. You know, we got uh, our... <laughs> our guy Jonas as well mm. um i forgot the guy's name from texas jackson hayes jackson yes. hayes was starting to come on too like as a group they were just the best um mm. so whether it's zion or a group of like three or four akongu capella type players um i'm in john collins maybe who knows uh <laughs> people it'll are be, saying it'll be a lot of fun yeah many people are saying <laughs> <laughs> the hawks are in the mix for zion I, I wish you luck with that this summer.
0: I mean, in all, like, they're league pass number one all time, Trey and Zion. Like, that's just league pass number one. Like, yeah. I, I don't care about the defense. Like, it, the, that would be the one thing that would sell out uh State Farm day to day. Like, that's the one thing, is that kind of attraction. With
1: you know two. what's awesome with Zion? In addition to dunking, which mm. obviously, you know, is self-explanatory, his touch around the rim against guys who are, like, Four or five inches taller and much longer mm. to finish over just about anybody. Yes, and, and it's like these feathery, soft floaters. Like it's just gorgeous, and mm. uh, he also looks like a refrigerator flying <laughs> through the air as he's like yeah. those shots. So, uh, I I hope he comes back healthy because man, oh man, it's so much fun to watch yeah. Gore inside. There's nobody else in the in the league who does it that way right now.
0: Um last thing with Ben. Uh what uh, can you tell the listeners who uh would be su- something about Ben they would be surprised to know that you know.
1: Ooh, something about Ben. Um god, people always ask me this stuff and he's he's kind of an open book in terms of like the weird stuff he gets into. Um mm. I would just say uh he is incredibly thoughtful behind the scenes he can con- he comes off as sort of like a hard ass on air sometimes mm. um but then he'll send little gifts here and there uh he'll send little baby shoes anytime one of our friends has a baby like little oh, he really and stuff yeah So, um, he's a big softy, I would say, uh, once you get him off the mic, he is the best.
0: There you go. Yeah. Um, well folks, you can go check him out. Goat pod. Uh, I'm subscribed. It's what? Like five bucks a month. Uh, something like that. Yeah. Five bucks a month,
1: two episodes per week. We've, uh, had a, a lot of fun over the past two years.
0: It's a great pod. It's a great, uh, it's a great use of your time. Hour and a half, two pods a week. It's great stuff. Andrew and Ben are two of the best here in NBA podcasting. So go check them out and subscribe if you have not already done so. Andrew, thank you so much for uh, coming on the show today. I greatly appreciate it. Yes, sir. all right, y'all, that'll do it for part one, hour one here on the Chase Jones podcast, the Saturday, June 4th, 2022 edition. Thank you to Andrew of The Goat Pod for coming on today's edition of the podcast. hope you guys enjoyed our conversation uh, as much as I did. Uh, subscribe to The Goat uh, Pod if you have not already done so. It's worth it's worth the five bucks a month. I promise. I'm a subscriber. Um, but also make sure that uh, if you like today's episode that you leave this show a five-star rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Tell us why you like the show uh, and why other people should listen as well. Uh, be great if you're an Apple Podcasts or Spotify listener. Uh, you can subscribe to this very program and not miss any of our hours of programming here on the Blue Wire Pod Network by just subscribing to the Chase Amos Podcast on your podcast Uh, preference so please go ahead and take care of that today if you enjoyed our show and uh, would like to keep listening to more content uh, subscribe to us on youtube um, email the program at chase podcast at gmail.com all that good stuff hour two coming up in just one second. second there how'd I do nicely done nephew